I um, read about a collector of some rare books. He ran into an acquaintance who told him that he'd just thrown away an old Bible that he found in the, uh, a dusty old box. It happened to mention that it had something like Guten somebody or other on the print in, in the inside and uh, printed on it. And, and he said, not Gutenberg. <laughs> that's, that's not Gutenberg, right? He said, yeah, 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 that was it, Gutenberg. You idiot. You threw away one of the first books ever printed. A copy recently sold at auction for half a million dollars. That's the first book in print, the Bible. Oh, I don't think this book would have been worth anything close to that much. It was scribbled all over in the margins by some guy named Martin Luther. <laughs> yeah, he... Messed up almost as bad as I just did a little bit ago. All right, Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs, well, I apologize for losing my mind. Boy. It's 
I'll not repeat that. But anyway, thank you, brother. I appreciate the wonderful exhibition of grace being extended. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 23. Let's begin reading in verse 24. <clears throat> this is kind of a, yeah, I don't know. We'll see how this turns out today, but <clears throat> it's an interesting passage and it's a passage I've preached on before, but it's not from this particular angle. And so we'll see how it goes. It kind of developed on its own along the way, really. I had a direction I was going to go with it, and it just kind of went its own way. And uh, again, I think that it's, um, um, I think it'll be a help and encouragement to us. I think we, we can use it tonight, and it'll be a blessing. So Proverbs chapter 23, verse 24. <clears throat> the Father... Of the righteous shall greatly rejoice. And he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she shall bear thee, she that bear thee shall rejoice. My son, give me thine heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways. For a whore is a deep ditch, and a strange woman is a narrow pit. She also lieth and waveth. As for a prey, and increaseth the transgressors among men. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babblings? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine. They that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? And I will seek it yet again. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, you just speak to our hearts tonight. May you just drive home a simple little truth in our minds. Lord, it may be that that simple little truth will be a little different for each and every one of us. But, Lord, we pray that you would just give us a golden nugget from your precious word. We need you tonight. We beg you to come alongside and to bring your strength, your comfort. Oh, what a wonderful song that the choir sang tonight. A special, right on target. Father, just we thank you for the music and now for the message that will go forth. May you fill me and allow me to be your mouthpiece. I need you. And Father, today, this evening, we need you. So show up in a mighty way and do what only you can in our hearts and lives. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. This particular passage addresses two of the most detrimental and destructive forces in the world. It points out two areas that demand strict discipline and steady determination in order to avoid its dangers. It exposes two of the great desires that the flesh contends with in not only our culture, but in every other since the beginning of time. Right off the bat, we notice a couple things. He deals with these two topics. First of all, alcohol. 
In Genesis chapter 9, verse 20 through 21, we note early on in the history of mankind that this became a problem. And Noah began to be a husbandman, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and was drunken. And he was uncovered within his tent. He drank of the wine and was drunken. And that's nothing new in our culture, is it? It goes way back. There's been a number of homes and families and marriages and people that have been destroyed and just totally rent as a result of this thing called alcohol. I know that the media and, and advertisers make it look like it's so appealing and so wonderful, and yet the fact is that it is extremely destructive and it has cost us more lives than we can ever imagine. Nobody cares about lives if there's money to be made. And unfortunately, there are more people killed by alcohol than we can even count, it seems, in our country's history, and yet we do nothing about it because we say, well, you can't legislate morality. But you can legislate immorality. We're doing it. Isn't it interesting? You can't legislate morality, they say, but you can legislate immorality. Because the world has a louder voice than the church. They won't stand still for us legislating something that's moral, but we'll stand by and allow them to legislate immorality every day of the week and twice on Sundays. <clears throat> Just thought I'd throw all that in for free. Alcohol. Number two, <clears throat> women. Ladies, not a knock on you. But it's interesting, when we start talking about this issue of temptation, the Bible primarily addresses it from the standpoint of the man, not from the woman's standpoint. What we see is that ingrained and literally innate in every man is the, the propensity to fall by the hand of a woman. It's a reality. And in 1 Kings eleven four, it says, For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. Listen, th this battle here that we face is, is in, in, in our country and in our world with temptation and so forth, it is around everywhere. And I know that nowadays they're appealing to the, the, the lust of women more than ever, but that's not how it began. That's not natural. That is an unnatural thing. The natural thing is for a man to lust after. There's no doubt that there's lust within a woman's heart, but I guarantee you this, we are training our young girls to lust after men the way that men lust after women, but it is something we're training them to do. It's sickening. This passage addresses two of the most destructive forces in the world that Satan uses to destroy humanity. Alcohol and women. When I say women, I'm not talking about the actual sex of a woman. I'm talking about the power that the, the flesh has in regards to it all. And also this passage, it's believed that this passage contains, and it contains one of the many wise sayings of David. 
that Solomon copied maybe into his notebook at some point and ultimately into his collection of Proverbs. In verse 26, we note that passage. And this is where I really want to focus our attention. And yet we cannot address this passage without understanding how the whole fits together. Because what's transpiring here, all of it kind of goes together to some degree. And it says here, My son, give me thine heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways. It seems that David was speaking, first of all, about Solomon. Of course, we know that he was the beloved son of Bathsheba. And then he speaks to Solomon himself. David saw in Solomon something, or should I say qualities and characteristics, that he did not see in Amnon, that he did not see in Absalom or Adonijah. He saw something unique and special in the life of Solomon. But here's the problem. God knew what Solomon did not know. God knew his heart. You know, it's interesting, we like to believe we know our hearts. But you know, only God really knows us to the degree that, well, we like to believe we do, but only he really does. Solomon did not know some things, but God did. God knew what he didn't know, and it was his heart. Solomon knew his own mind, but he didn't know about that weak spot in his heart. So God warned Solomon. He warns him not to have a disloyal heart. He says, give me thine heart, let thine eyes observe my ways. Boy, Solomon was well warned, wasn't he? But like many before him and unfortunately many after, his eye affected his heart. Eventually, turn if you would, well, don't even turn there, but eventually the statement in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3, Solomon loved the Lord, was canceled out by a statement in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1, that said, Solomon loved many strange women. He's not talking about strange like they dressed weird or that they had some idiosyncrasies in their personality. He's talking about the fact that they did not believe the way he did and that they embraced other gods. So he goes from this Glorious statement of Solomon loved the Lord to just eight chapters later, Solomon loved many strange women. By the way, this change didn't happen overnight. Again, we know scripturally it took about eight chapters, but it took time. In 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4, we noted it, but it says, For it came to pass when Solomon was old. We know that he took over the kingdom at the age of 40. We know that he begged God for wisdom that he might rule his people well. We know that he was considered the wisest man to ever live. 
We know this because the Bible affirms it. And yet the Bible also tells us, for it came to pass when Solomon was old. (laughs) Something changed. From the time he was 40 to the time he became old, a lot older than 60, I'm sure, Something happened to his heart. It's kind of like Novocaine. I was at the dentist not long ago, and they shoot you full of Novocaine because they're going to do something to drill a tooth or pull one or whatever it might be, and they shoot you full of Novocaine. And at first, you don't feel a thing like there's just nothing, no big deal. Pretty soon... There's some numbness in the area. And then in time, that whole area becomes void of any feeling whatsoever. It's completely impervious to or unresponsive to pricking or poking or prodding. That is the state of the human heart that's been numbed by the subtle attacks of Satan over time. It doesn't matter how great a servant of God or how wonderful of a Christian a person may be. We can find ourselves cold and indifferent toward God and the Word of God over time if we fail to guard our hearts. I mean, what could cause a person like Solomon or maybe you or myself to become insensitive, even numb to the prompting, the prodding and probing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Well, we have an example of such a case in the New Testament with the church at Ephesus. Turn, if you would, to Revelation chapter 2. We see that this church, the representative of the first church, portion of the church age, that if there was an indictment that the Lord Jesus Christ had on this church, not just Ephesus individually, but it appears that of the the churches that were represented of that time period, notice what it was. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, Because thou hast left thy first love. We're going to continue reading in just a moment, but you have to recall what the church went through. As we remind ourselves and we review church history, we know that after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the disciples, of course, were given a command. And we know that the world was reached with the gospel because the Bible tells us. We know that the early church did the job that God called them to do. However, before long, after a period of time, he says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Of all the wonderful things you've done, of all the ways you've obeyed me, of all the things that you've accomplished on my behalf, There's still something that I have against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. 
These at Ephesus had left their first love. You say, what's that mean, left their first love? That word left basically means to abandon, deserted, dropped, and forsook. Their first love was the Lord Jesus Christ. But they eventually abandoned him, deserted him, dropped him, and forsook him. What in the world happened? What could cause a person to leave their first love? What could cause a person to abandon, desert, drop, or forsake the Lord? Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Matthew chapter 6. I think more than a statement, we have a prescription here of how to avoid a disaster of heart. Notice in Matthew 6, 24, what can cause a person to abandon, desert, drop, or forsake the Lord? Here it is. Look at verse 24 to start with. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and man. The first thing would be a divided heart. A divided heart. We see that the Lord is telling Solomon and even David, if one would say a father to his son, give me thine heart. How in the world did these leave their first love? How is it that they could have possibly abandoned, deserted, dropped, or forsaken the Lord or the direction they had gone? We see Solomon, we see the church at Ephesus, a divided heart. See, the Bible is true, isn't it? The Bible says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So we all agree that the word is true. What it says is truth. And the book of truth says, no man can serve two masters. That is truth. No man, no woman can serve two masters. We live as though we can. We continue to defy the world often or the the scriptures and we want to believe in our own lives that we can serve two masters. We can serve the spirit, so to speak, yield to the spirit and yield to the flesh and it'll all be okay. But you can't serve two masters. I mean, I didn't say it. God's word, the book of truth said it. But I can handle it, preacher. I can balance them. No man can serve two masters. The writer points out that there are only two outcomes if we try to serve two masters. For either He will hate the one and love the other, 
or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You know what that sounds a lot like? That sounds to me a lot like, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. You can't serve two masters. I can't serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. And he settles the issue by restating the truth again at the end of the verse. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Can't do it. You can't do it. Neither can I. No one can serve two masters. A divided heart will cause a person to abandon, desert, drop, or forsake the Lord. And God says to Solomon, Give me thine heart. But notice in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, we continue reading, the Bible says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? I know I tried. Didn't work. What could cause a person to abandon, desert, drop, or forsake the Lord? A divided heart, but here we find a distracted heart. You say a distracted? Sure. Look at the passage again, beginning in verse 25 to 27. Let me ask you a question. According to the passage, what are some of the things that distract us from giving our heart to God? Look at it now. Take a moment. Study it for just a moment. Let me ask you again, according to the passage, what are some of the things that distract us from give, giving our heart to, the, to God? Do I have a hand, maybe, in the crowd that would say one of them? What's one of the things? Yeah. What we should eat. Some of you are already thinking about that for tonight. <laughs> I've been thinking about it since I ate lunch. What else? Somebody in the middle, maybe. I don't want you yelling out. Be polite. Anybody in the middle? Yes, go ahead, brother. Clothes, clothing. So we got food, clothing. Is there anything else? Anything else over here? Okay, go ahead. Oh, wait, right over there we saw one, yeah. Okay. That's okay. There's a third. Anybody else? Absolutely. It's a distraction. No doubt about it. We look at the passage your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor for your body what ye shall put on. What ye eat, what ye drink, what ye wear. 
Sounds a lot like provision, right? Where am I going to sleep tonight? Got to put a roof over my head. Got to put food in my belly. Got to put clothes on my back. I mean, it's my life. Verse 25 does a pretty good job of summarizing the list of distractions. Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? You know, these are the things that distract humanity. These are the things that keep them from giving their heart to God. You say, but they're important and we've got to have them. Eh, be careful. Just be careful. Because they're not the most important. You know, we raise our children if we're not careful believing that that's the most important thing to prepare for in your life. We raise our daughters looking for a guy that's going to take good care of you and meet your every need. Make sure you marry a doctor, a lawyer, or somebody that makes a lot of money. I mean, let's be honest. Isn't that kind of the mentality in America? I'm not saying maybe you have that mentality. I hope you've never did. And I hope you didn't give that impression to your children. Because that's not the most important thing according to God's word. Those things become distractions. Those things cause a person to abandon, desert, drop, and forsake the Lord. How many times have we watched that happen in the church with our teenagers, our singles, and even our grown adults? My son, give me thine heart. And then he goes on to say, if I find it here in a minute, I've got all these pages in front of me and I don't know where to go, front or back. <laughs> Observe my ways. They distract us. Most of humanity is distracted. The pursuit of them becomes a God to most. God's crying out, give me thine heart, and we're giving it to those things, the pursuit of those things. Do you know that none of those things are going to matter when we're sitting in jail for our faith? Do you know they won't bring us any comfort? Do you know they won't bring us any strength or any hope? You know, we used to say those things like little buzzwords and bywords like it was just some joke. <laughs> That's stupid. Yeah? We see what's going on around us. We see how our government has manipulated bank accounts and how they've frozen assets. Now they've put people in jail for nothing today when they choose to. You don't think that Christians couldn't end up in jail now? You don't think preachers that preach against the very things they're promoting in the culture and the society we live in may not be targeted Not one dime I have will make a difference when I'm sitting in jail. When they confiscate all my assets, what's the big deal anyway? Then my wife and family will be living with you. Hopefully you've done a good job of making the world your God. 
I'm joking. You guys aren't laughing right now. <laughs> you aren't laughing. You say, well, you was being pretty serious there, and then you tried to make a joke. That's not very good, you know. Well, that's why I had to make a joke, because I felt it going, ooh. Okay, so, but really, we got to work at this thing. Give me thine heart. Wait a second. What causes a person to abandon, desert, drop, or forsake the Lord? A divided heart. A distracted heart. But notice Matthew 6, 28 through 32. And again, it doesn't come right out and say this, but I believe that it's implied in the passage. Notice what it says here. It says, And why take ye thought for, the, for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Okay. I'm going to kind of go back here now. Let's look at this for just a real quick second. Who is the one who's to worry about whether you have clothes on your back, a roof over your head, and food in your belly? Whose responsibility is it? You just said it, right? Whose responsibility? Wait, wait a second. Let me read it because we're going to read from the book of truth. Because here's the thing. I hear men say it all the time. It's my job. Really? Really. It's your job. Because if it's your job, how are you going to stay healthy? What are you going to do when you get sick? What are you going to do if you're in a car accident and you can't work? We want to put a sign over your head that says, bad husband, bad man, bad provider, bad person, because you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing? You say, that's different. No, it isn't. Every day that you wake up, sir, every day that I wake up, it's God putting breath in my body. I don't provide nobody anything. God does it in and through me. And he does the same with you. He says right in the passage, very clearly now, he says, Therefore take no thought saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Now he is not talking about what do I wear today. Don't you think about what you wear. Just throw anything on you want. Don't even think about it. Just... Just reach in there in the dark and grab some things. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about tonight when you leave this place and you've got the Taco Bell app and you can save a lot of money. You choose Taco Bell because of the money you'll save. He's not talking about that kind of choice or Worrying about that. Man, that's just good business. $5 for all that food. But you got to have the app. Took me a while to figure it out. Boy, now I'm in the business. I'm, I'm, I'm running well, as Dr. Hamblin would say. But hold on, he's just telling us, listen, that's not really our job. We shouldn't be spending all our time doing that. I've said it a million times. Not a million, maybe 150 times. 
Isn't that about how we operate? I've said it forever. I've said it. I, everybody's leaving the church. Everybody's angry at the past. Everybody. Who's everybody? Would you list them, please? Would you write them out? Oh, yeah, those three people. Yeah, I got you. Everybody. Been there, done that, seen that. You know what I mean? Here I am a million times. It's 150. We all do it, don't we? But we say crazy things, and we do crazy things, and I forgot what I was going to say because I can't even remember Brother Browning's name. <clears throat> so we're going to move quickly because this is really melting down like my mind. Genesis, Matthew 6, again, we've said 28 through 32. What are we saying then? We said, what are some of those things? What are those things that we said that will go ahead and literally cause us to abandon, desert, drop, or forsake the Lord? A divided heart, a distracted heart, a discouraged heart. Man, I mean, it's just implied in the passage. It's like, you know, I, I have tried to provide well for my family. I have tried to give the best things I can give them. I've tried to have the things I deserve. Yeah, right. See what I'm saying? I know there are some things that I expect. I'm I'm no worse than anybody else. I'm no different than anyone else. I feel there's a few things I should have. And I'm a little discouraged right now because I don't have the money in the bank I'd like. I don't have the kind of car I would like to drive. I don't have the home that I would prefer to have. I don't even maybe have the family that I would want. The fact is, is that I'm a little disappointed and I'm a little discouraged with what I possess. Or don't. And I believe that Christians even get extremely depressed and discouraged because they're not where they think they should be in life. They don't have all the things that the world says is first and foremost, most important of all. And the Lord's saying, give me thine heart. We see the solution or one of the solutions, or at least a, a, we, a way in which he begins to round it out. Look at Matthew six thirty three. He says, I tell you what, you want to avoid a divided, distracted, and discouraged heart that can cause you to abandon, desert, drop, or forsake the Lord? Well, look at verse 33, he says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What's he saying? Give me thine heart. Solomon is warned that he'd be prone to and even compelled to abandon, desert, drop, and forsake the Lord if he failed to give God his heart. He told him that. He warned him. He made it perfectly clear in the passage. I'm telling you, Solomon, if you fail to give me your heart, you're going to struggle to observe my ways. Turn, if you would, to Romans 16, 19. My son, give me thine heart. But then he continues, let thine eyes observe my ways. That word observe means to keep my ways. Let thine eyes, thine eyes, observe or keep my ways. Romans 16, 19. Paul the Apostle writing to the church at Rome says, For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, 
on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. Now again, I'm getting a little caught up, I'm getting a little hung up on the phrasing of this passage. My son, give me thine heart. That's simple, right? But then he says, let thine eyes observe my ways. And in a way, there's a part of me that, let the, I'd been all right if he had just said, and observe my ways. And I'd have said, man, you just got to, you know, give God your heart and live like God's telling you to live. Live according to the word. But wait, he says, this is interesting to me. Let thine eyes observe my ways. I don't know about you, but I find that interesting. My eyes. My eyes. Observe his ways. And in this passage in Romans, the Apostle Paul's saying, but I'd have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. I don't want you to have a good understanding of evil. I don't want you to be well-versed in it. I don't want you to have anything to do with it. See, a divided, distracted, and a discouraged heart will cause the eyes to wander from the Word of God and the ways of God. That's the problem. We cannot dismiss the road that a divided, distracted, and discouraged heart will place us on, nor can we dismiss the consequences that it's going to produce in our lives. We cannot permit our eyes to behold those things which God abhors and hates. If there is one thing that seems to be damning an entire generation in our day and age, it is their eyes. They're forever focused on the wrong things. And it's not just the young people today. It is the adult population. Brother Kavanaugh was talking about, in, in just our class, he was talking about that you can do something on your phone that allows you to see the, literally the amount of screen time that you spend on your phone. And he told me about it before and I, whatever. But anyway, I don't, I don't quite get it. But he says you literally, it's, he says it's, it's not like it used to be either. He told me, he said, it used to be people would say, well, that's not really screen time. That's actually done for this and this. But somehow they know, he said now. He said it's extremely accurate. Screen time, not in, you know, listen, I get some of you say, well, I have to use a computer for work. I'm not talking about when you're working. But like we talked about this morning in the class, we're sitting around with one another, husbands and wives, and somebody's on their phone. That's screen time. A generation is not just being lost, they're being damned. They're going to hell, and sadly enough, we are contributing to it. It is so important that we understand where all this ends up. It is the I that is the real problem. We keep thinking, well, I don't do certain things. What are you looking at? Because whatever you're looking at, you will eventually be doing. Or you will at least be worse than you were. This idea that we can just observe sin, that we can view things that are things that God does not like, that God despises, that God hates, that God does not, is not pleased with, and think somehow that we're going to be perfectly fine. 
You say, well, I'm doing good now, but that's not how it happens. That's not how it works, remember? It's over time. We have not even begun to see the outcome of this stuff. We are only on the tip of the iceberg. There is so much below the surface that's going to raise its ugly head in the years to come. I'm telling you, the church is so distracted. The church is so misguided. The church is so corrupted because of this. This. What's he say? My son, give me thine heart. Let thine eyes observe my ways. Let me ask you. Is looking at lewd and nasty pictures God's way? Is just sitting down and watching a show that encourages the homosexual lifestyle, transgenderism, is that really God's ways? Let thine eyes observe my ways. We're watching things unfold before our eyes and we believe that we are impervious to their consequences and their influence. Well, I, I, I can handle it. I don't know. I don't know anymore. Solomon couldn't handle it. Solomon started seeing the wrong things and Solomon allowed his mind to wander and before it's over, Solomon allowed his life to be transformed and changed where once his love was God, now it was those strange women. It didn't happen overnight. It took time. It was at the, toward the end of his life. Well, you know, as you get older, those things don't affect you as much. You know. No, I don't. Haven't figured it out yet. Apparently, you know something I don't. Solomon never figured it out, obviously. The wisest man found himself acting like the biggest fool. Lamentations 3.51 says, mine, mine eye affecteth mine heart because of all the daughters of my city. Do you know that passage is true concerning both good and evil? And that's what I think God's trying to help Solomon understand. You've got to give me your heart. You have to give me your heart. That's the first step. Give me your heart. And then you'll be more prone to observe his ways. But if we don't give him our heart first, it's going to be real hard not to view the things we shouldn't be viewing. Everywhere we go, we hear music that we probably would never listen to in our own home, in our own car. We see people dress the way we would never, ever dress ourselves in public. We listen to words and things said that we would never, ever dream of allowing in our homes or on the lips of our children. 
The simple passage says, I mean, and it's simple too. He simply says, My son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. You keep your eyes on me. You keep your eyes focused on good, not evil. It's interesting as we close this down, but in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 9, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Verse 10, Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Interesting, isn't it? He doesn't just say to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of righteousness. He doesn't just say to come apart forsake, discard, get rid of these, this fellowship of these unfruitful works. That's not just what he's talking about. Don't get involved with them. Don't be a part of it. Don't engage in those things, he says, but rather reprove them. You know what he's saying? You stand up and say, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's unkind, preacher. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. I don't know. The book of truth says to do that. I'm telling you, this idea that we can go out in the world and we can view the things we shouldn't and our children are watching us view them without us reproving them. And we think it's not going to affect their view of what's going on and how their mind will ultimately either accept or reject what's taking place as good or bad. And I'm telling you, we are kidding ourselves. It begins in the heart. And it continues with the eyes. And the outcome isn't good if we don't do both. It's bad. I have this heart here. It's my heart. Look how big my heart is. Got a big heart. I'm sure my heart's bigger than anybody's in here right now. Look how big that is. And all he says is this. If we could just boil it all down. If you don't, God says, if you don't give me this, then you will use this for the wrong things. Uh, listen, you think you're going to observe the right things without first yielding your heart to him? You and I both know that's not going to happen. It starts with our hearts. Every, every teenager and every adult and so many people want to get on Baptist. You Baptists are all about your standards. That's all you care about, your stupid standards. What about the grace of God? Okay, let's talk about the grace of God. Where's your heart? Seems your attitude stinks. Okay, let's talk about what the Bible says, the book of truth. My son, give me thine heart. That's where it starts. 
It starts there. You lay it up on God's altar. You put it at the foot of the cross. And then you're going to be more apt to observe His ways. Not to allow these to look upon things that do not please Him. See, we are about, well, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing anything wrong, preacher. That's not what God's asking you for now. He's asking you to surrender your heart to Him. Give Him your heart. And then He said, observe my ways. Don't allow yourself to observe the ways of the world. He's not talking about doing. He said, let thine eyes observe my ways. You can't look upon it. We can't even look upon it. We can't indulge in it. We can't let, let it get in through the eye gate, into the heart. If that's the case, then we really never really gave our heart to Him at all. We give our heart to Him and then we look at the things we don't, we're not supposed to that don't please Him. How's that work? That doesn't make sense, does it? I want to encourage you to give your heart to the Lord. Can I tell you, it's not easy. This is a battle for you and I. We are flesh, and I'll tell you what, we want to hold on to this. Because we want to control this. We don't want someone telling us what we can look at, what we can view, what we can listen to, so to speak. We want to tell ourselves, oh, I'm okay with this, I can handle it. Let me tell you something. God says, my son, give me thine heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways. I don't know. I think it's time that we all need to give our hearts to the Lord. Every day of our life, we ought to be giving it back to Him. Giving it back to Him. Giving it back to Him. We're in a mess. Christianity's in bad shape. You know what the hope of Christianity is tonight? The Lord Jesus. You know what? In that sense, we're in pretty good shape because he's pretty good. But will he find faith when he returns? He asks the question. You know, if he's going to find faith, he has to find it in you and me. You know how faith is exercised? Excuse me, that's wrong. That was a wrong statement. You know how faith is viewed or how it's seen? Through evidence through action, through deeds. Will we give our heart? Will we commit our eyes? Will we observe His ways? It's tricky. That's just the door shutting, telling me it's time to close. But listen, I want to encourage you to give your heart to the Lord. I don't think there's anything more impactful in a home than when a dad makes up his mind to give the Lord Jesus Christ his heart and to follow through with that second part. And he says, you know what? We're going to clean up the house. We're not going to look at things. We're not going to observe things. We're not going to allow certain stuff in our midst because we 
want God to be pleased. We're going to let our eyes observe His ways. We're going to be enough out in the world. We don't need to just pile on. We need some balance. So let's make this a safe place where as believers we can come without being worried about being bombarded with the world, the flesh, and the devil. My son, give me thine heart. And let thine eyes observe my ways. Father, we come to you. We, we thank you, Lord, for just this opportunity we have to gather here. And Lord, we are a, a needy people. And Lord, it doesn't matter how good of a Christian we're trying to be. I'm sure there's areas that we can tighten up. Lord, there's some good, godly people in this crowd. And yet, Lord, the truth is Satan is subtle. And even as Solomon, who was the wisest man to ever live, ultimately failed. To observe your ways. He ultimately, Lord, left his first love and loved many strange women instead. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us, Father, to every day guard our hearts. We need you now, Lord. We love you. We'll give you the glory for it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed.